0: So, this weekend in the Rinaldi household, it was a big laundry weekend. I'm sure that's the case for many people, you know, it's that time to get caught up. Saturday, big laundry day. How much fun is doing laundry? Loads. <laughs> Loads of fun. Yeah. yeah, and actually our house, our floors are immaculate. My wife prides herself on keeping our floors clean. She loves our vacuum cleaner. When you clean a vacuum cleaner, what do you become? A yeah, a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, I guess. Okay, so let's focus. We're continuing our Marvel series in the book of Mark. Today, we're going to be looking at this issue of cleanliness. That's why those were actually relevant to today's message. We're going to be talking about being clean from the inside out, specifically spiritual cleanliness. In chapter 7, Mark intentionally addresses three key issues that really represent a turning point in our understanding of redemption and spiritual growth. The first issue is something frequently addressed throughout the New Testament, and if you've ever heard me speak before, you've heard me address this topic extensively. That is That righteousness is not obtained nor impacted by what you eat or drink, nor is your standing before God dependent upon rituals and traditions. It may sound cliche, but it really is what's on the inside that matters. We change from the inside out. Now, I love cars. I'm a car guy. I'm sure a lot of you are car guys. When I consider cars, how it looks on the outside isn't nearly as important to me as the interior. I really like a well-designed ergonomic cockpit. My wife knows this, and sometimes she'll roll her eyes at my choice of car because it could be the most beat-up, ugly-looking bomb on the outside, but if the inside has a really cool vibe, I'm hooked. One of my favorite cars, it's okay to laugh, was a 97 Pontiac Bonneville. Loved it. Not the prettiest car, but boy, it could move. I'll tell you that much. It wasn't the prettiest car, but the inside layout was very comfortable and it felt like I was in the cockpit of a TIE fighter every time I drove it. It was really cool. So the first key point from this passage that we're going to examine is that we change from the inside out. The second key issue is Mark's revelation of Gentile inclusion That's you and I in God's plan of redemption. So not only are we made clean from the inside out, it's who is made clean from the inside out. We are made clean. We're included in God's plan. The third key issue is how. How does that happen? And that one should be obvious to most of us, but unfortunately, I think many, even in the church, still struggle with this one. It's faith that makes us clean. It's faith alone in Christ alone. And faith by way of the Spirit continues our spiritual journey. Okay, so let's get into the Word and see where we find these three key points. We're in Mark chapter 7. Let's start at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him him, of course, being Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So, keeping the tradition of the elders. See, this had nothing to do with personal hygiene, what the Pharisees were questioning. This was not an issue of personal hygiene. By the way, you know what the clean DNA said to the dirty DNA? Hygiene. I'm here all day. Anyway, these Pharisees were referring to a ceremonial cleansing. Uh, Thomas Constable, in his excellent notes, explains it this way. He says, The writer clarified what ceremonially impure hands were, that is, unwashed, for his Gentile readers. The scribes and Pharisees were not objecting because the disciples were eating with dirty hands, but because they had not gone through the accepted purification rituals before eating with their hands. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonial unclean hands? Again, looking at constable's notes, we get a further explanation of what this ceremonially unclean meant. He writes, the Pharisees customarily washed themselves after visiting the marketplace in order to rid themselves of the defilement that contact with Gentiles produced. Most Jews regarded breaking these traditions as sin. They suspected that the disciples' failure to wash properly indicated that Jesus disregarded all the traditions of the elders. Now, I'm sure you're wondering why the Rudy's logo suddenly appeared on the screen. Well, just to give you a little inside information, I have the privilege of meeting with a great bunch of men every Wednesday morning at Rudy's. We have great Bible study, we have great discussion, we have prayer time, and of course, food. Who doesn't love brisket for breakfast? It's the best. Anyway, this past week, I took the opportunity to get some insight on this chapter from these guys. So I'll be sharing a few quotes this morning. I didn't want you to be confused. When you see the Rudy's icon, you'll know that that quote came from one of these guys during our discussion. So just in case you don't recognize the name, at least you know, oh, that's AJ's Rudy's group. Also, food this morning is a common theme. Sorry, I will be making some of you hungry this morning, I'm sure. So back to our discussion about cleansing. Bob Carl from our Wednesday morning group, he made this observation when considering this treatment of traditions. He said we need to ask ourselves and identify why we do what we do. And he went on to expound that if Christ isn't at the center of our motivation, then why are we focused on a particular thing? Which we're all guilty of from time to time. And as Wayne has mentioned in the past, many times, he has clarified and said there's nothing wrong with tradition. We're getting ready to approach one of the most traditional times of the year. There's nothing wrong with tradition. But we do get in trouble when it becomes traditionalism. Doing something just for the sake of doing it or because we've always done it that way, right? And Jesus totally had the Pharisees' number. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. They were teaching as doctrines, human commands, abandoning the command of God and holding on to human traditions. So the human commands, as made up by the Pharisees, had over time superseded the commands of God. As my friend Carl Penninger observed so well, he said the main thing is not the main thing. Anymore to them. They abandon it for procedure and bureaucracy. And Jesus didn't just throw out the accusation without a very particular, specific example. Let's look at that now, picking it up again in verse nine. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. It's pretty serious. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me as Corbin, that is an offering devoted to God. We're going to look at that a little bit further here in a moment. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. Now, I know this passage may cause some confusion. I've had some people ask me about this, actually, in some of our discussion time. And I think John Grassmick in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, he does a great job of explaining this illustration. He says, Jesus quoted a scribal tradition that sidestepped the divine command, that divine command being honoring your mother and father, and specifically what that meant. In their tradition, it was possible for a person to declare all of his possessions to be Corbin and thereby absolve himself from the fifth commandment. Corbin was a dedicatory formula pronounced over money and property donated to the temple and its service by an inviolable vow. Such gifts could only be used for religious purposes. If a son declared that the resources needed to support his aging parents were Corbin, then, according to scribal tradition, he was exempt from this command of God, and his parents were legally excluded from any claim on him. By their tradition, they nullified the word of God. To sanction religious donations at the expense of violating God's command was to set human tradition above God's word. The Corbin vow was only one example of many other things like it where scribal tradition distorted and obscured the Old Testament. By the way, this term Corbin is not in and of itself a negative term. There's actually a Corbin University out in Oregon. I had the privilege of spending a week there doing some guest lecturing and speaking several years ago. And they got their name from this word. See, they were ignoring foundational commandments to benefit themselves. And they were repeat offenders at this. Remember, Mark records the phrase, and you do many other similar things. That's why we use the term Pharisee in a derogatory manner to imply hypocrisy. I'm sure you've heard it many times. Using religious authority for personal gain, often at the expense of the elderly or other vulnerable persons, I'm gonna say that again, using religious authority for personal gain, often at the expense of the elderly or vulnerable, still happens today, doesn't it? I might ruffle some feathers here. But there are most definitely wolves in sheep's clothing preying on the vulnerable in the worst ways. It happens. And it's that time of year. It probably happens now more than ever. That is not too soon, by the way. (laughs) Just a side note, and pardon the commercial interruption here for just a moment. Uh, if you haven't yet seen this film called American Gospel, uh, I believe it's still on Netflix. It's, I highly recommend it. Uh, I believe it's leaving Netflix soon, but it's also available on Prime, and I know some people around here have it on DVD. Has anybody seen this, incidentally? Anybody? Yeah, it's, it's quite good. It's quite good. I do recognize it. I Re- recommend it. All right, so let's pick it up again, Mark 7. Let's go back. Uh, we're going to be at verse 14 now. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? This is a, for me, this phrase, we gloss over this, but it's so funny because really it's one of those examples where Jesus is like, come on guys, how many times I have to explain this to you? You've been hanging out with me now for a while. You should start to catch on. But some of these things were so ingrained in their culture. See, this is why as we go through the New Testament, you see this issue addressed multiple times. This was not something that that they were going to quickly understand like we might today. Okay, so he said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. We won't spend much time on that. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Let's be clear. Nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him, okay? For some reason, I still have to convince my wife and my nutritional coach about that this is true. (laughs) It's biblical truth for heaven's sake, okay? That slide slide doesn't make you hungry, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) This issue of clean and unclean food was something the early church struggled with, as we see in Acts and several of the epistles. I would even say some still wrestle with this subject today. Interestingly, though, it is very likely the consistent use of this theme is directly parallel to the contrast between clean and unclean people, the Gentiles and the Jews, which this whole issue at the beginning of the chapter was about, That contrast was made irrelevant with the advent of Christ. So Jesus goes on, verse 21. He says, For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Not just murder, theft, but ouch, pride, envy, self-indulgence. We may gloss over some of these in our own lives. It's easy to do, but they are in themselves destructive influences that can and do lead to destructive sinful behavior and stunt our spiritual growth. And they come from within. Now, this passage reminds me of another time Jesus was exoriating the Pharisees. This is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Jesus says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity.'" in the same way on the outside you seem righteous to people but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness now you can see from this photo some of the tombs here are looking gray right while others look bleached those in the middle that's the illustration Jesus is using while shiny and clean looking on the outside they still contain the bones of the dead on the inside and everything that goes with the bones of the dead think of what a decomposing corpse looks like You probably don't have to use your imagination too much. There's enough zombie movies and TV shows these days that provide you exactly what that looks like. Of course, they're usually animated. This here is actually, it's a sculpture that was left in a mausoleum. There was a horror movie being filmed. I just love that image. It's striking, isn't it? It should make your skin crawl just a little bit. It's something disturbing on the inside of something that's actually quite beautiful. Of course, that's left open to interpretation. But here's a photo of the actual tomb where this particular statue is found. It's pretty cool. It's not whitewashed, but it's strangely appealing there in that wooded setting on a hill. See, the lesson Jesus is teaching here is clear. External forces such as religious systems, traditionalism, legalism, decrees, imperatives, statutes, the list can go on and on. These things do not create significant lasting change. Let's be clear, they may they may create temporary shallow change, but they don't create significant lasting change. Real change happens from the inside out. Next we're going to begin to see how the tide is changing overall. Now, speaking of the tide and cleanliness, you know who keeps the oceans clean? Mermaids. What do mermaids use to clean the ocean? You can see this one coming, can't you? Okay. All right, right, let's go on. Let's move on. All right, listen. We're beginning to see how the tide, what tide is changing? The tide of religious teaching and spiritual formation is changing. So let's keep reading. We're going to pick it up with verse 24. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, implying the Jews here, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Because of this reply, that reply was all about faith. Barry Campbell from our Wednesday group said this. He said, she demonstrated pure faith over traditionalism. She didn't let traditions get in the way. Well, why? One reason is she was clearly a Gentile. That's made evident in the passage on purpose. This incident would have sparked special interest for Gentile readers. It shows that Jesus rewards Gentile faith as well as Jewish faith. Jesus had come to deliver both Gentiles and Jews. To us, it may seem obvious right now, but for Jesus' followers and even for Mark's readers, this would have been a big deal. It would have stood out because as George Hillman said, she didn't fit their category. They most definitely had a category. She didn't fit in it. However, it's interesting because anyone who really studied the scriptures of the Old Testament, it should have fit in nicely. Even Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It was faith alone. Always has been. To emphasize this point, Mark delivers another story of a Gentile faith and Christ's response. And incidentally, Mark is the only gospel writer to share this particular miracle of Jesus, which involves a group of Gentiles coming to Jesus. Again, we're gonna pick up verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis, another Gentile region. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is be opened, that's Aramaic for be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. Now, not to belabor the point of everything that was happening in this, as far as what Jesus' actions and words were, David Wade made a great point about this process. He said, the fingers in the ears and on the tongue are a physical sign, but it's important to realize now as it was then, God is always the healer. Even when we see the means through physicians, etc., it's always God who orchestrates the healing. By the way, just want to make a quick plug again. If any of you guys here are looking for a group of men that you can fellowship with and study scripture, Wednesday mornings, 6.30 a.m. As you can see, we have a great bunch. You're welcome to join us. We are meeting this week. All right, verse 36. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he's done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This phrase, extremely astonished, basically means their minds were blown. Note the comment, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Scholars believe, and it's very likely, this point is emphasized by Mark on purpose in reference to Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, which says this, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy and their minds will surely be blown. That's my commentary. I added that part. That's not in there. See, real change happens from the inside out for all who seek Jesus. Real change happens from the inside out for all who seek Jesus. This point of Jesus being for everyone did not settle well with all the Christ followers of the early church. However, once it was made clear to the fathers of the faith, such as Peter and Paul, The message was a striking one. Paul emphasized it to the Ephesians. We're going to read this passage together. It's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick it up with verse 11. Paul writes to them and he says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ. "'excluded from the citizenship of Israel "'and foreigners to the covenants of promise, "'without hope and without God in the world. "'But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away "'have been brought near by the blood of Christ. "'For he is our peace, who made both groups one "'and tore down the dividing wall of hostility.' In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might reconcile, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him. You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. You see, in a closed religious tradition, it's all about who you are and what you do. I'm going to say it again. In a closed religious tradition, it's all about who you are and what you do. But with Christ, it's not what you do. It's what he did. Proving his own love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so easy to feel trapped in an endless cycle of struggling to take that next step, to move forward on your spiritual journey, or even your journey in life. It can be an overwhelming burden to feel like you alone are responsible for your growth. Am I doing enough? Am I following all the right rules? The Galatians had this problem. And they had believers, other believers, even telling them, yeah, you do need to observe the Old Testament law and the traditions, just like the Pharisees taught. But Paul wrote them to clear this up. I love his verbiage, too. He said, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if, in fact, it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So many keep their outsides looking nice and shiny, right? A lot of people walking around with shiny outsides. Guess what? Just as a car cannot keep its own insides clean, neither can you and I. Have you ever owned a car that looked like that on the inside? Come on, I know you have. But remember, it's not what you do. It's what he does. He will make you clean from the inside out. So how? How does this work? For you are saved by grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works. So no one can boast. That's our third thing. Real change happens from the inside out for all who seek Jesus Through faith in him. I think with this Marvel series and taking a look at the person and work of Jesus, how amazing he truly is, it's appropriate to share one of my very favorite quotes. My apologies to any college students that might be in here who've heard me say this many times. C.S. Lewis brilliantly said this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Are you ready for real change? Have you placed your trust in Christ for eternal life? If you're feeling frustrated, wanting change but never finding it, that's step number one. And if you've never reached that point, then don't wait. Take time this morning. We have a prayer team that comes up after service, come up and pray with them, ask questions, learn more. We have a lot of people that are in the foyer between services, they have name badges. If you want to learn more about how to grow, let us help you. If you have taken that step, if you have put your trust in Christ and you're living The life as best you can, and you're seeking greater spiritual formation. Maybe you've been wrestling with the next steps in your sanctification. Get involved. Become part of a group. Find a mentor. Find someone to disciple you. And by the way, disciple someone else as well. That's the best way to grow. But let us help. That's why the church is here. And if you're a man looking for a group of men with which you can be real, sharpening each other's swords... Rudy's, 6.30 a.m., brisket. Can't beat it. Before, uh, before I close us in prayer, I just want to take a couple of minutes, maybe not that long. Just take a few moments, just in silence. Just listen. Examine yourself. Think about, are you ready for real change? What are the next steps for you? And then I'll close us in prayer. Just take a few moments and do that. Lord, we come to you this morning just seeking truth by way of your grace. We praise you and give you all the glory. Lord, we ask that you might continue to grow us in the spirit, that we might grow closer to each other. Even as we grow closer to you, Lord, thank you for calling us to be a part of your kingdom. It's a privilege and a blessing to serve you. Lord, as we seek to continue maturing on this spiritual journey of ours May we always be mindful that it is you who makes the change from the inside out, Lord. And as such, may our lives give you all of the honor and all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.